0: Listener discretion is advised. Just a reminder, this podcast contains content of a graphic nature that might not be suitable for all listeners, including descriptions of violence, sexual assault, and crimes against animals and children. Listener discretion is advised. Drugging Kathy. She would give her random pills to take, and Kathy had no idea what she was taking, but because she didn't want to get beat she basically did as she was told. So Shelly would give her lorazepam, a tetanol, Altase, Paxil, and Prozac. And eventually, Shelly moved Kathy to the unfinished basement where Shane was, and they basically slept on opposite sides of the basement. Shelly also got her husband Dave involved in the abuse. She made him push Kathy down the hill in the backyard while she was naked and freezing because there was snow outside. And as soon as Kathy would get up Shelly would make her walk back up the hill and the cycle would start all over again. And the kids said the next day when they went out, there was just blood covered snow all over the hill. And they were absolutely mortified about what was going on. But again, their kids, they couldn't tell anybody what was happening. So in March of 1991, she made Kathy write this letter to her family so that they would believe that she actually just took off. Kathy's sister said, quote, the story that was woven seemed plausible, end quote. And they truly wanted to believe that Kathy had found love and happiness. I think everybody wants that for their family. So when you have a letter in your loved one's handwriting that's saying, hey, I went off to California with my boyfriend, they kind of take it at face value. And, you know, even though they've never heard of this guy, they really want you to be happy. And so they just really didn't think anything of it at the time. So about a year later, in the summer of 92, Shelly and Dave buy a farmhouse in Raymond. This house was a real step down from where they'd been living before. It was a fixer upper and there was a lot of work that needed to be done. But the one thing that this property did have was that it was way out in the country. It sat along a river, it sat off of a main road, but it was still private because of the trees. There was five acres of property that was mostly fenced and there were a ton of outbuildings on the property. a well house, a pump house, and a pole building, which housed their storage, pantry, and freezer. So while the property itself was quite large, the house was tiny. It was 1,600 square feet, had three bedrooms, and just one bathroom for seven people. Nikki and Sammy each got their own rooms, and Michelle and Dave had a room that Tori also slept in. With that arrangement, that meant that there weren't enough bedrooms for Shane and Kathy. So Shane slept in Nikki's closet, usually without a mattress, and Kathy was forced to sleep on the living room floor. Beatings continued when they moved houses. Shelley would hose Kathy down outside when she wanted to give her a shower, but instead of using soap to clean her, she would use bleach which as we all know, is really not supposed to come in contact with your skin. And so it was incredibly painful for Kathy. And once again, Dave was gone working. He would work during the week and he would only come home on the weekends usually. So he really didn't have an idea of the day-to-day activity that was going on on the property. But one weekend he came home and he found Kathy in the pump house on the property and he was incredibly confused. And so he went and asked Shelly, why is Kathy sleeping in the pump house? And Shelly convinced him that Shane was abusing Kathy. So she had moved her out to the pump house for her own safety, which again, because he wasn't there all the time, Dave just took her at her word and figured that was the best place for her to be so she didn't get hurt. Kathy continuously tried to escape from the new house. She ran away on several occasions, but Shelly would always find her and bring her back to the house. And just a side note, this pump house that she stayed in was the smallest outbuilding on the property. It was dark and musty and cold. One day, Shane tried to let Kathy out to escape. Shane, Nikki, and Sammy were all terrified that Kathy was going to die. Quote, Kathy just didn't have any fight left. She'd simply given up. End quote. At this point, she was close to death. Her body was bruised and broken, and she could barely walk on her own. Meanwhile, Dave is working 16 hours a day, And so he's really only coming home on weekends. He's drinking tons of coffee. He's taking no-dos, trying to stay awake. He almost fell asleep at the wheel several times. He's just not in a good place physically or mentally. And once again, he just takes Shelly at her word, and he just seems to accept that, that there's nothing nefarious going on. So after Shane tried to let Kathy escape and she just refused, things went downhill. Shelly found Kathy had taken a shit in a Tupperware container because, again, Shelly literally controlled when Kathy used the bathroom. Shelly decided that waterboarding Kathy was the next level of punishment. She made Dave construct the waterboarding device, and of course she made Dave do the actual waterboarding. Shelly would laugh while Kathy screamed to try to make her stop. The waterboarding only took place on one occasion, but that was more than enough. Shelly eventually resorted to feeding Kathy rotten food. She'd blend it up and tell her it was a smoothie. She made her eat a cup of salt, but none of this was ever reported. Apparently, no one ever heard Kathy's screams, no one ever saw Kathy naked working on the property. Nikki and Shane, who had been the victims of Shelly's abuse before Kathy came to live with them, wanted to help Kathy so badly, but they couldn't. They were so terrified of what their mom might do to them. And they knew that Kathy couldn't help herself because she was so weak. So Kathy started having labored breathing. She couldn't stand up on her own because she was too weak. She was covered in bruises in varying degrees of healing. She'd lost a ton of weight, more than a hundred pounds. She would have injuries like falling in the shower where she would have cuts and bruises and she truly needed medical attention, but Shelly just never took her. Towards the end of her life, Shelly moved Kathy from outside in the pump house to inside the house in a small area of the laundry room. For some reason, she actually gave her a mattress, blankets, and pillows. In July 1994, Kathy started making gurgling sounds in her quote-unquote bedroom, but Shelly just brushed this off. Prior to this, Dave had noticed that one side of Kathy's face was droopy, and she was no longer functioning at a normal cognitive level. But by the time Dave had really caught on to how bad things were, Kathy was in a terrible state. She had vomited all over herself and she was choking on the vomit to the point where she couldn't breathe. Shelly had just left Kathy in this state for who knows how long before Dave came home. Dave tried performing CPR and thought about calling 911, but he didn't want to get Shelly into trouble and was worried about the trauma it might inflict on the kids. Dave wasn't able to save Kathy. When he told Shelly this, Shelly actually seemed puzzled that Kathy had died. And the kids were hysterical when they found out Kathy was dead. Their worst fears had come true. Shelly took the girls and went to Westport and then came back for Shane. Dave tried to rationalize Kathy's death as an accident and Shelly told Dave how she wanted to get rid of Kathy's body. There was a fire pit on the property where Kathy's body could be burned without raising too much suspicion. It took more than five hours to burn Kathy's body to nothing but ash and bone. Dave then took Kathy's ashes to Washaway beach and dumped her remains into the ocean. He returned back to the house and burned Kathy's clothes and possessions. Of course, now that Kathy was dead, Shelly needed a cover story to tell people. She made up the story that Kathy had committed suicide, but because of Dave burning the body in the fire pit, she didn't want Kathy's family to know, so she made Nikki and Shane collect the remaining bits of Kathy from the fire pit. Eventually, Shelly realized that she was going to have to come up with a better story for Kathy's death. The suicide angle just wasn't going to work. So Shelly went back to the story that Kathy ran away with her boyfriend, Rocky. She put together cards and letters and said that Kathy and Rocky were traveling. And then she made Nikki forge Kathy's signature on the cards. She told Dave to go to Canada and mail out the letters. She had this elaborate plan for covering up Kathy's death. And then as a backup plan, she was just going to blame Shane For Kathy's death. Basically, she'd do whatever it took to save herself. Shelly even called Kathy's mom to see if she'd be a threat, and Kathy's mom had zero interest in seeing or talking to Kathy. Unfortunately, after Kathy died, Shelly reverted back to abusing Nikki and Shane. But several months later, in February 1995, Shane suddenly disappeared. He talked about running away even more frequently after Kathy died. Had he finally escaped? Shelly would tell the girls a few weeks later that Shane was fishing on Kodiak Island in Alaska. With Shane and Kathy gone, Nikki was all alone in her abuse and torture. She was the favorite target of her mother. Shelly banished Nikki to the outbuildings and the woods behind the property. Most of the time, she made her stay out there naked. Once she cut Nikki in the leg so bad, she left a two-inch gash in her leg. Nikki was so fed up with the abuse and torture, she tried to kill herself in the barn. She made a noose using hay bale twine. Fortunately, the beam Nikki had chosen snapped and broke so she couldn't hang herself. So this whole time, Shelly hasn't had a job, which honestly makes sense why she tortured the kids and Kathy. She basically had nothing better to do. But in September of 1996, Shelly applied to be a teacher's aide in the South Bend School District. I couldn't tell if she actually got this job, probably not because she does keep abusing the kids. But Sammy, for her part, had found a way to kind of deal with the abuse that she suffered. She had seemingly good friends who knew that her mother was crazy. Her friends didn't even know that she had a sister named Nikki because they never saw her, even though she was always outside working on quote-unquote chores for her mother. But the thing is, once Shane and Kathy were gone, Shelly refused to allow Sammy and Nikki to become close to one another. She didn't want them talking to each other or hanging out for fear that they would conspire against her. And again, Dave still wasn't around. He was working on Whidbey Island, and he just sent his money home each week. Unfortunately for Shelly, not everyone could just forget about Shane and Kathy, like she could. Her stepmother, Laura, would call to check on Shane And Shelly always had an excuse for why he couldn't come to the phone. Instead, Shelly complained about how much of a handful Shane was. But Laura continued sending checks for Shane's birthday and Christmas. And these checks were cashed. Shelly finally told Laura that Shane was in Alaska working on a fishing boat. Laura tried to push back on this, but Shelly was insistent that fishing was Shane's dream and that he was happy in Alaska. But this just didn't make sense to Lara. She knew her grandson, and she knew that fishing on a boat wasn't his dream. Nikki graduated from high school in 1993. She enrolled in Grays Harbor Community College. But sadly, Shelly began chipping away at the life Nikki wanted to create for herself. Shelly would take away her nice clothes that she'd wear to school. She banished her to the living room floor, the same floor Kathy had slept on and she took away Nikki's money so she couldn't get to school. Slowly, Nikki realized she would never get out of Raymond. She felt like she'd be stuck there forever with her mom. Thankfully, Nikki began fighting back. She was 19 at the time and no longer a small child who would be forced to put up with the abuse and torment of her mother. Shelly sent Nikki to stay with her sister-in-law, Trish, in Hope, British Columbia. This was about four hours away from where they were living at the time. Nikki stayed for several months, and she helped Trish with her cleaning job. Nikki was finally happy, and she felt normal again. Trish tried desperately to keep Nikki with her, but Shelly always got what she wanted, so Nikki went back home to Washington. But when she initially came back, she stayed with Dave on Whippy Island, and she saw how Dave was actually living. He had no money. They received food from donation boxes and lived in a tent on the job site. But at least Nikki was able to shower every day. Nikki eventually got a job at the Oak Harbor Baskin Robbins and another job cleaning motel rooms. Her boss at the motel gave her a trailer to stay in. She was finally free of her mother for a little while. After Nikki left for B.C., Sammy started to grow tired of covering up the abuse she was suffering at home. She started telling her teachers, and the school counselor told her they'd be reporting the abuse to the authorities. But Sammy panicked. She'd been abused for so long and was so scared of what her mother would do. She told the counselor that she lied and made everything up. And of course, Dave was no help. He was in complete denial about the abuse. He blindly believed Shelly to a fault. He didn't think it was possible for her to mistreat the girls. She loved them. Sammy graduated from high school in summer of 1997, and she was ready to get the hell away from her mother. She wanted a life outside of Raymond. She dreamed of going to college just like her sister. She stayed with her grandma, Laura, in Bellingham for the summer. And just like Nikki, Sammy finally felt normal and happy. Nikki even came to stay with Laura around the same time because she wanted to get a job in Bellingham far away from her mother. But, unfortunately, she wasn't completely free. Shelley made Dave follow Nikki around Bellingham and made several anonymous calls to the nursing home that Nikki worked at, complaining about Nikki's interactions with patients. Sammy actually blackmailed her mother. She told her that she wouldn't tell anyone about the abuse because Sammy wanted her mother to let her go to college and fill out the paperwork she needed for financial aid. And Shelley actually did this. So Sammy and Nikki are growing up and it's just Tori left at home with Shelly. Shelly decides to take Dave off their shared checking account, but she continued depositing his paychecks. He never saw that money or how it was spent. Shelly took out over $36,000 in personal loans and all this money was used to fund Shelly's shopping addiction. She would write checks around town and they would often bounce and then her account would be overdrawn, but she'd just open new accounts. She even withdrew money from her daughter's accounts, even though she wasn't an authorized user of the account. With Sammy and Nikki gone, Tori, who had been shielded from abuse for most of her life, soon found herself in her mother's crosshairs for no reason other than she was the only one left. Sammy remained close to Nikki and Tori, but Tori and Nikki's relationship was strained. Shelly kept perpetuating that Nikki was a terrible person and Tori shouldn't be close to her and she was a bad influence. Finally, for the first time in her long marriage to Dave, Shelly got a job as a caseworker in Raymond. At this new job, Shelly met Ron Woodworth. He'd helped her find homes for a bunch of cats that were rescued from one of Shelly's clients' homes. Ron loved cats and had a bunch of his own. He lived in a trailer, and he was unemployed when he met Shelley. Sam and Tori really liked Ron. They even called him Uncle Ron. Ron had moved to South Bend in 1992 with his partner Gary. They'd been together about 17 years, and both had family in the area. But Ron's father died in June 1996, and his behavior changed after that. He became unemployed and was introverted and sullen. Eventually, Ron and Gary broke up in 1997. He never saw or spoke to Gary again. In 1999, Ron spoke to a friend about moving in with Shelly and Dave because they planned to buy a house in Oak Harbor. But by July of 2000, Ron hadn't moved to Oak Harbor and he wasn't doing well financially. He borrowed money to pay a lawyer for trailer space issues he was having. Supposedly, Shelly was going to get him a lawyer and took $1,000 from him but it's unclear if she actually got him a lawyer. Ron had to briefly live with his mom and he lost all of his cats. He was devastated. Ron did eventually move in with the NoTech family and he stayed in Sammy's old bedroom, but it didn't take long for Shelly to start her abuse. Once again, with Ron as the subject of Shelly's torture, Tori didn't get it as much. Shelly beat Ron and started giving him the same cocktail of drugs she fed Kathy. She started giving Ron bathroom privileges, took away his bedroom, and made him do chores outside. While all this was going on behind the scenes, Shelly was barely holding on to her job. She was described as defiant and erratic. She'd received two write-ups. She would delete voicemails for the company, and she made Ron write letters of support from him and his mother after a poor performance evaluation in January of 2001. In March, she received a written warning and was notified that it was possible she'd be terminated. In May, she was placed on probation, but by June, she was given a severance check and she was terminated. Ron's friend tried to get him out of Shelly's grasp, but it was too late. Shelly had a hold on him, and she wouldn't be letting him go. Shelly, like all typical abusers, pushed Ron away from his family, isolating him so that she was all he had. She made Ron write letters to his family, berating them for perceived mistreatment. He blamed his mother for why he lost his cats and told his brother that their mother was a traitor. Ron told his family he was moving to Seattle, and all future communication would go through Shelley. The last letter Ron wrote to his mother, dated October 9, 2001, read quote: "Madam, this is to inform you that I'm giving Mrs. Michelle Notick permission to remove all my personal property from your home and storage building." What she does with it is none of your business. Once she has removed everything, you will receive no more communication from me. I pray that you will live for a hundred years in perfect health, both physically and mentally, and that for every day of the rest of your life, you will remember the cruelty of what you did to me. You are now their responsibility, not mine. I was once your loving son. End quote. While all this is going on in Shelly's house, Nikki moves to Oregon with her step grandma. While there, She confessed to her grandmother that Shelly and Dave killed Kathy, and Laura had no reason not to believe what Nikki was telling her. She knew her stepdaughter. In July of 2001, Laura faxed Nikki's statement to the Pacific County Sheriff's Office. This included details of Kathy's death, including Shelly's poisoning her with pills. After this confession, Nikki moved back to Bellingham. She called Sammy to give her the heads up about what she'd done. And that's when Nikki also told Sammy that she thought Shelly had killed Shane too. Police made welfare checks over the past several months in response to calls from Kathy's family. Police tried to follow up with Sammy after Nikki's report, but she never called them back. The abuse of Ron continued. Shelly forced him to listen to messages from his family without a single care in the world. She'd continued to stir shit up between Ron and his family, Forcing Ron to keep writing truly nasty letters to his mother. Shelley eventually took away Ron's clothes and forced him to work out in the yard naked. She told him he didn't deserve clothes, which of course made no sense to anyone but Shelley. Even though there was actually a bed and a bedroom available for Ron, Shelley made him sleep on the floor. And because Shelley was a truly horrible woman and saw how close Tori and Ron were, She made Ron tell Tori he didn't love her anymore, and she told Ron he couldn't talk to Tori anymore. She didn't want them to have any kind of relationship, but Ron still slept just outside Tori's bedroom door at night. Tori would sneak little hugs and smiles with Ron when she could. But as much as Tori loved Ron, she didn't want to do anything that would make her mom hurt Ron further, so she tried her best to keep her distance. Sammy had met Ron a couple occasions when she would come home from college, and she eventually saw a decline in Ron's appearance. He was disheveled and a, quote, shell of a man, end quote. This wasn't the same Ron she met the first time. She knew that the same thing was happening to Ron that happened to Kathy. Even Dave said that he saw Ron deteriorating when he'd come home from his weekend visits. Like Kathy, Ron tried to run away a few times, But he really had nowhere to go, and he always went back to the no family. Although she stopped working for the caregiving agency, Shelly did get a private, independent caregiving job, taking care of James McClintock, who was a friend of Kathy Loreno's mother. James also had a black lab named Sissy. Shelly used Ron to help take care of James. She even moved Ron into his house. Somehow, Ron was more available to take care of James than Shelly even though Shelly was unemployed and didn't do anything except torture people. Shelly set Ron up in the basement, even though James had several spare bedrooms available. Shelley still controlled Ron, even when he wasn't living with her. In September 2001, James signed over power of attorney to Shelly. Once again, Dave took Shelly at her word about Ron's alleged bad behaviors and took to beating him on Shelly's behalf. Shelly would make Ron drink his own urine when she found cups he used to go to the bathroom because she wouldn't allow him to do so. In February of 2002, James passed away. Shelly received $5,000 and his dog Shelly would have to wait to inherit James' house worth $140,000 because his will said that he, she would only receive this upon Sissy's death. The details of James's cause of death were a little vague. Supposedly Ron called 911 to say James fell and hit his head. The coroner later confirmed that James died of a subdural hematoma caused by blunt trauma to the head, possibly caused by a fall, but the coroner couldn't be definitive, and of course, Shelley, being the crazy person she is, accused Ron of killing James. She said it so much that Ron eventually believed it. Shelley would later tell Tori that Ron let James fall out of his wheelchair and, quote, waited too long, end quote, to call 911. Shelly inheriting James's house was the beginning of the end for her. Neighbors were concerned about how and why she'd gotten the house. Was it legal? In spring of 2003, the Pacific County sheriffs went to the no residence to serve a restraining order against Ron. On April 18th, just a few days after the restraining order had been served, Shelly received an anonymous letter in the mail, quote, like the Lord Jesus Christ, Kathy also arose from the dead and is back to revenge you, ashes to ashes, end quote. Shelly had no idea who sent it, but she started spiraling. At this point, it seemed like the torture and abuse of Ron was ramped up. He fell off the roof repeatedly, and on another occasion, Shelly actually made him jump off the roof for her own personal pleasure. Shelly and Dave burned Ron's feet with hot water and bleach and Tori said it smelled like decomposing flesh. Dave had tried to get Ron to leave, but Ron, like Kathy, refused. One day in July 2003, Ron just disappeared. Shelly had laid the groundwork for Ron having committed suicide to Dave, but she told Tori that Ron had left and moved to Tacoma. When Dave called later that day, Shelly told him that she found Ron dead on the back porch She then wrapped his body in sleeping bags and stuffed the body into a freezer. When Dave got home, he knew he had to help Shelly get rid of Ron's body. But there was a burn ban in effect, so he couldn't burn Ron's body like he had Kathy's. So Dave decided to bury Ron's body. On August 6, 2003... Nikki and Sammy both went to the Pacific County Sheriff's Office. They told them their story, and they were believed. Prosecutor staff even came to the meeting. They wanted to save their sister, Tori, and they wanted to see their parents prosecuted. Tori was removed from the Notick house and provided her statement to investigators. Before police could come to him, Dave went to the police and gave his statement. He told police where he'd buried Ron's body and where he'd disposed of Kathy's remains. He didn't admit to anything else with Kathy and Ron, and he didn't throw Shelly under the bus. But Dave would also confess to murdering Shane. Quote, Shane's in the ocean, end quote is what he told them. He said they fought over a gun and it went off, and he claimed that he was too scared to call police. But Nikki had a different story. Shane had hidden three Polaroids of Kathy inside a teddy bear. These pictures showed Kathy naked with bruises covering her body. Shane told Nikki that he'd stolen the pictures from Shelly. For some reason, Nikki decided to tell Shelly that Shane had these pictures. She felt guilty every day for ratting him out. Dave confronted Shane about the photos, but they were never found. In February of 1995, Dave admitted to shooting Shane in the back of his head with a 22 caliber gun. He then burned Shane's body, took the ashes, and dumped them into the ocean at Washaway Beach. He buried the gun used to kill Shane, then burned it, and when the entirety of the gun didn't burn, he hid it in the house. In February 2004, Dave pled guilty to second-degree murder for Shane, and also pled guilty to unlawful disposal of human remains and rendering criminal assistance. He wouldn't testify against Shelley. Unfortunately, prosecutors couldn't make first-degree murder charges stick for Shelley. It was a no-body homicide for Kathy, and they couldn't definitively determine Ron's cause of death. So on June 18, 2004, Michelle entered an Alfred plea. In her Alfred plea, She would receive 13.5 years for the murder of Kathy and 8.5 years for the manslaughter of Ron. But at Shelly's sentencing, she continued to point fingers at everyone else. She, of course, took no responsibility for her actions. And because of that, the judge decided to increase her sentence to 22 years. Shelly is set for possible release in June of 2002. But because she hasn't shown any remorse and continues to blame everyone but herself, it's unlikely that she'll receive parole. Dave was released in 2016 and now lives on the Washington coast. He works at a seafood processing plant and still has a relationship with Tori and Sammy, but not Nikki. All three girls remain close and they see each other frequently. And that is the terrible story of Michelle Notick. This will conclude the episode.